Hello, and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk, joined by the ever-lovely, ever-charming, the brow of boy brow, which is the way that I introduce you to basically everyone when I when they first meet you, Diamond Creek Bomb. Hi, it's me. Um, my bad last week, um, my schedule, like, you know how, like, I, maybe they don't say this, but do you know how um, I thought they said, like, you know, having once you have one kid, two kids is not that much harder? You're blaming this on your kid? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, two kids is so much different than one kid. One kid is, like, kind of chic and, like, European, you know? I, I have to say, I think the biggest impact on this relationship, as in this podcast, has been you getting like a corporate job i mean that's probably t- that's probably true um too like where are but you I love where, it. It where even are you right feel now corporate um i am it's after hours in my and office lis- listeners just so you know after hours in la time is 5 54 p.m it's six <laughs> Um, you know what? I'm trying to find time to do the thing that brings me joy, which is this, seeing your face talking about um, the beauty industry, shooting the shit, gossip. Um, do you have your aura ring on, by the way? Oh, it's charging. Oh, that's the headline this week. That's what that's, we have. <laughs> that's the headline. Have you been it's wearing It's so yours? funny. Yes, every single day. I want to say something. So just to preface this, um. Annie and I live on, you know, opposite coasts, but occasionally we have this like, you know, psychic connection, which becomes evident, you know, the most recent example is that I was trying to figure out who the press person for aura ring was or how to basically get a free aura ring because I want to like understand why I'm exhausted, like how my sleep is, what things affect my sleep and don't, eating earlier, eating later, drinking, not drinking, edibles, not edibles, whatever. Um, and I don't have any data and I can't wear a neck, uh, one of those bracelets, like the whoop I wore for like a day. Anyway, so I was like trying to figure this out and then I get an email from Annie being like, oh, hey, can you like send me the, you know, like listener data so that we can maybe get free aura rings. And I was like, yes, I can. And I want in and we're going to wear them for a few weeks and then we're going to discuss the results so far. I mean, I don't want to discuss the results yet. Have you been, have you been wearing it for like a week and a half or however long we've had them? Yes. Um, I've only not worn it for one night. So I'm missing one night of data. Um, and then half I don't days- find it hard to, to wear. Do you? I do don't. I almost got the wrong size. So I'm glad I really, they send you a sizing kit. Um, by the way, we're, they make t- it we're super cheap. The, nobody paid for this. We begged Aura to send us free rings and they're going to, they're about to get a lot of coverage on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. so. um, I really, I, I like it so far. I got the gold one. Um, I saw that. And I'm wearing, I'm wearing it on my uh, pointer finger so that I can like really give my pointer finger a little bit of gravitas or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm learning a lot of really interesting things. It doesn't have to charge that often. I literally just charge it while I'm in the shower, and that's usually enough to keep it at over 90%. Right. And I feel like 
95% of these wearable, like, what is this? Like the, what do they call it? Like the tech of living or the world of teching? I don't know who they are. Where, like, it's like wearable. Like, it's like this whole category of like things that tell you about yourself. Wearable tech. It's it's like, it's one step before getting a microchip implanted is how I see right. the aura ring. Yeah. Um, you it basically, it has like three little, uh, monitors on it and it does heart rate, oxygen level, breathing, respiratory rate, all these different body things that can deduce body temperature. Um, the MBA famously used it during COVID aura ring. Um, and I was on a boat last summer and this super rich girl was wearing one and she has access to everything. Really? So I was like, interesting. And that was anyway, the day I that I asked like, for our data so we could get free ones. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, no, but what I think is that um, most of the battle with these wearables is just wearing, wearing them. them. And and like wearing a bracelet or like a band while you sleep is like a non-starter for me. No. Um, and what this is, what's kind of nice about this is it's a ring. So it doesn't really, you know, you you kind of forget about it. So we're collecting data, and next week we're going to start talking. We're going to spill the beans. Yeah, it's very different from my iPhone tracking app, by the way. My iPhone wants me to get, like, 10,000 steps a day. It wants me to – it tells me, like, I never sleep. Or is like, you slept 11 hours last night. Yeah, or or is like, you slept – like, you're doing really great. Like, you slept your, – your sleep – not only did you sleep enough time, but your quality of that sleep was great. Yeah. Maybe that's – just what we need to hear, but I feel like I'm really enjoying that part of it too. Yeah, they they lowered the bar, and now I'm reaching all my goals, and so I choose Aura. I'm not reaching my steps. Having two kids is no joke. I like. We should say it no is joke. connected to an app on your iPhone, so you can't just like. There's no screen on the ring. You can't. Nope. You know, it won't send a text. It won't. Nope. Send you little messages. It's just it's on your phone. You can't listen to music on it. No, mm-hmm. it's just a ring. So yeah, well, we're like having sleep sleep wars. What are we? What are we? Are we in a competition? What are we doing here? Yes. Okay. I what I'm curious about when it comes to your sleep health is whether you're actually like as bad of a sleeper as you say you are, or like whether it turns out that the quality of sleep you're getting is enough to sort of like keep you relatively restored. It'll be interesting to find out because I just know you're, you know, always saying that you're exhausted, that you are an insomniac, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be interesting to see. So you don't, you don't believe me and you're saying like you want to check the... i just saying, evidence. yeah, show me the evidence. I don't like it. It's a little, it's a little presumptuous though. It, it does tell you how much time you quote unquote spent in bed Yeah. It, instead of sleeping. <laughs> it tells you how much you slept, but it also tells you how much time you spent in bed, which I don't really appreciate. Yeah. I mean, it, I think out of, I've tried the whoop which is just a really hard name to get past. Um, but I like this interface the best and not just because um, we got these for free. Okay, more next week if we record this. My other, oh yeah, we will, we will. Now Now I have the setup, I have a quiet space. We have time that works. Um, I wanted, to, I have something very important to tell you, which is that my mom doesn't listen to this podcast, obviously, because she called me very excitedly on Saturday and was like, guess what? I, I have to tell you the funniest story. And I was like, okay. And she said, um, we just were at the freeze fair in LA 
and guess who had a pop-up at Freeze? Barbara Sturm, this, you know, <laughs> dermatologist. And I was like, what? Like, I I know who Barbara Sturm is. Like, that is crazy. Like, what were they doing there? And she was like, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. People were lining up around the, like, booth to get red light therapy. And, like, you would get free five minutes and then you would, like, go up to a desk and they would ask you what issues you have and then, like, make you a tincture, she said. Like, and she was just like, it was it was packed. This it was, like, more packed fair? than some of the, like, yeah. And we were thinking, they were, like, giving away tote bags. And I was like, Mom, do you know? She was like, "What? who is Barbara Sturm? What is Barbara Sturm? And I was like, well, number one, thanks for listening to this podcast. Number two... Like I gave, I gave her a little bit of like a summary on who Barbara Sturm is. And I just thought it was interesting that she's at like a, it's, it's, it is sort of like the most consumer branded art fair, I guess art Basel, but freeze is maybe even more. Don't you think? I don't keep up with art fairs. Well, um, you know who doesn't care about art fairs? Who? Artists. Yeah, I think it's just maybe people like to go. It's fun because you can see the art up close, you know, all together maybe. Like if you want to see what XYZ contemporary artist is doing. It's just a party. I don't no, know. No, like, it's like no, it's it's like in a convention center and all the galleries like rent out little booths and you can see like the new work that they have from different artists. Oh, okay, never mind. It's not a party. It's art Art Basel is different. Like that there is an actual art fair that's Art Basel. Mm-hmm. You know, in Basel and in Miami. Yeah. Um, but then there's like all the events happening around Art Basel, but like Freeze is an art fair. It's it's you know There's in, no freeze parties. There probably are dinners like around freeze. People, you know, galleries will time openings around freeze because people fly in for these uh, fairs. But no, it's it's much more of a fair. But it's still it's like art you can Instagram. Can we talk about plus the most lovable fuckboys there are are art advisors and gallerists. Like my gotta love them. My foreign boyfriends that are geographically foreign all gallerists and art advisors and they are all so fun their jobs are to basically well there's the new york set they're basically they're the, they're these straight guys with incredible taste and incredible fun plugs in different cities because they are friends with all the artists and gallerists and rich people from different cities right and essentially their jobs are to meet young wealthy bros that you know how to start up and sold it or whatever want to like invest their money and they have too much money they know what to do with and they're not cool so they have to basically pay through buying art through like these art dealers to be to be their best friends and their plugs into the cool art scenes and the different cities around the world it's a very very fun life um, I've seen this <laughs> happen time and time again between these like male friendships that like they become. Yeah, it with. is a funny, it is a funny career. I have a friend in LA who is an incredibly successful art dealer and he has made an incredible living for himself selling really, really good art, but he's also one of the best connected people in LA, I think. Incredible. Because also what's interesting about art is that people like across industries seem to be like seem to gravitate to it. So it's not only 
hedge fund, you know, f- people, finance bros who've, you know, maybe made a shitload of money and want to spend it on something or invest in something. But cele- some celebrities are really obsessed with art. Some other artists are really obsessed with art. So you're kind of like your Rolodex is pretty varied, I think. And it's fascinating because there's no real value. They decide the value. No. Like, <laughs> art is valueless, <laughs> truly. <laughs> it's it is just only as-, as valuable as how much you'll pay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, anyway, very... You know what I've been buying? What art? Um, what? Like art on Instagram, but like... Um, I found this artist in, I think, the UK who will make a ceramic uh, bust of your dog. <laughs> um, so I got one of those for um, Rafi's room. And I also got this. I found this artist who does painting, like these kind of like abstract paintings. I'm still shopping small. Can I? Oh, my God. Can I say something? So the other week I get a call from an old friend of mine who I knew in college, who's now a writer at New York magazine named Matt Schneier. And he's like, I'm doing a story on kids, like kids fashion, you know, like fancy kids brands. Like, can I interview you? And it was like, we were still in Portland. It was like one of the last days we were there. It was crazy. But I was like, sure. Casey's sitting next to me. And I like talked to him. Like I'm obviously he's a friend, but I I talked to him about my experience. I'm not into as you know, like I'm not buying every Chanel and Burberry and like the sort of like classic fashion brands. I like like smaller little weird European brands, which are expensive and yeah, stupid. which are no less and expensive. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that like that was sort of my take, and I was and I thought that I was like very self-aware and sort of like padding with what I was saying with a lot of like, and I know this is insane, but like I also buy it at the end of the season for the next season. So I get it at like a 70% discount, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, the article comes out last week and it's like, and you were like, you know, he, I like to keep it casual, the, like the row for toddlers. No, and- he just like took, he took the worst like quote. That I said, and it was enough so that the first, um, the first comment under the article, I didn't even know people still commented under articles, was about me. <laughs> okay, here's what it says. Nick Axelrod Welk told me he orders clothes for his two-year-old daughter and newborn son almost exclusively from boutique labels in Spain, France, and the Netherlands. (laughs) For parents used to expressing themselves through clothes, kids' fashion represents an easily accessible transference of their old spending habits. Fendi mommy may want Fendi bambini, but for every style of parent dressing their child in their own image, there seems to be a corresponding kids brand. Axelrod Welk and his husband, who live in Los Angeles, want to support the kind of small batch, female-owned, good-for-the-planet companies for their daughter that they do for themselves. It doesn't just have to be wearing shirts with Mickey Mouse on them, he says, which, by the way, is now all she wants to wear. You were like, she no longer wears the bespoke Liberty print. So, like, it's I and, and literally, <laughs> this is the first comment <laughs> quoted the, just the part about me and said, "Well, I have zero hopes." Uh, hold on, it says, and it calls me co-founder of the beauty brand Necessaire and a vice president at United Talent Agency. And this this commenter says, "Well, I have zero hopes of ever needing an agent, but I'll never purchase anything from Necessaire. I do appreciate this idiotic man's honesty. I like knowing which brands to avoid." 
Um, and so it turns out that even an old friend can take your words out of context and make you seem like an idiot. Did I say those words? Yes. But I also literally said them, you know, saying, I know this is insane, but here's how I make it, you know, more affordable. And there are certain reality. I stand by some of it because like the stuff in Zara and the stuff in H&M and the stuff in Old Navy while much more excessively priced, I don't think we all we all kind of know the dirty secret of how those clothes are made, and it's not pretty um, in terms of people making the clothes. If you buy from small labels that you know are manufacturing locally, chances are, chances are they're going to have a really cute studio where their stuff is no, made. No, that's of not what I'm saying. One. What I'm saying is like. <laughs> We all know, like, the story about H&M and Zara and, like, how those clothes are made and where they're made and by whom and at what human cost. That's all I'm saying. Listen, you have to explain to me. There's no judgment. Um, Anything else going on with you? I mean, there's a lot going on with me. Um, Pick one thing. um, Should we at least talk? Here's what we need to talk about. We need to get into the news because we're a little Oh, I remodeled my bathroom. That's news. How? Well, um, I took a, I accidentally took a Vyvanse on a Saturday and the next thing you know, I'm ripping out all the cabinets in my rental bathroom and going to Home Depot and renting a sanding, a circular sanding machine. Did you do this yourself? Yeah. DIY. Wow. Of course. That's amazing. You think I took a Vyvanse and then called a bunch of people to do the work? That's what I do. I like take a Vyvanse and I like find (laughs) a handyman. I find a window person. I find a this person, like... I, I wouldn't trust myself with a circular saw or whatever that it wasn't is. A, no, it was, a, it was just a sander. I wouldn't trust myself with a circular saw, saw either. So what did you do? You took off the cabinets so and... my bathroom is... I don't know if I've given you like a tour of my new apartment, but my, the bathroom is super weird. It's like definitely a like a drug dealer in the 70s like redid this apartment. It's covered. It's like the hall of mirrors. There's mirrors all over this apartment, floor to ceiling. The bathroom also has floor to ceiling mirrors over like two-thirds of the walls but then floor to ceiling like green marble everywhere else and um the cabinets there's a ton of space underneath the cabinets for um or underneath the sink area where I can store all of my various beauty products and samples as everyone can imagine I have like an exorbitant amount of beauty products that I need to live with from Japan. Um, we know, we know, we know. I needed to access that space, but there was only one cabinet that opened and the other two were closed. So I tore those out. They're mir- they were mirrored cabinets. So it was not easy. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to do like a skirted, like, fabric. Oh yes. I just got a skirt mm-hmm. for my sink. The, yeah. I'm very, sink skirt. I'm very sink into skirt. sink skirts. Oh, okay. Yeah. After I, it suddenly no, no, I literally have one in my bathroom right oh, this oh, minute. I got it bathroom. on Etsy. Oh, 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 I okay. do. Yeah, you found it first. Okay. So um, I, too, have a sink skirt in my bathroom, but I'm going to sew mine because I'm going to do Yourself. it. Oh, my gosh. Well, you can't That's... just buy a sink skirt on Etsy. These are These things have to be bespoke. Well, did you have it made to measure, though? Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and I sent her the fabric. Well, I have a sewing machine. People don't realize that. We're very resourceful, and, like, we don't just... Uber I mean, eats, Uber sews, everything. I forgot that you know how to do like those kind of things. Well, you don't know how to do those, but you can YouTube You know it. that you know. How, well, I know, but I forgot how resourceful you are. But it's nice to remember. I do like making things with these little tiny little hands. Yep. And I had to cut all my nails off to do this. So Speaking of Vivance, very quickly, um, I'm on Vivance TikTok 
and there's a lot of people right now who think that the drugs that they're the the Adderall and Vyvanse that they're getting since the shortage was announced is not real and that it doesn't work. Oh my god, can we go to our first story because I actually remember it. I do have a huge breaking story that my psychiatrist wanted me to tell everybody about. Yes. This is an email uh, subject line shortages. So I, as regular listeners, not Nick's mom, know, I am on a lot of stimulants, a lot of prescription drugs in general. And there's, there's a shortage of stimulants in the U.S. It is not because the pharmaceutical companies cannot produce enough to keep up with demand. That's not it at all. It's because of regulations. The government is capping how many stimulants companies can make because they're being lobbied by big pharma because guess what guess guess what patent is running out this year and they can make a generic Vyvanse. Vyvanse. So now there can be a generic so Vyvanse. Yes. It's like five so, years or something, right? Until other brands no, can No, they make- can make it they can start making a generic Vyvanse now. But the corporate lobbyists from big pharma are trying to enforce these caps for how many stimulants that a drug company can make, fast-acting stimulants specifically. They're creating this narrative that people like you and me are abusing fast-acting stimulants like Vyvanse, dexatroamphetamine, which I'm also on. Dexa- what is that? What is that called? It's um. It's basically the... Um, Dexaturn, dexadrine dex- or whatever? Dexadrine. Wait, dexadrine. I don't I just keep my pills in a tiny little silver peanut, so I don't know <laughs> if you want to see it. <laughs> Look how cute this is. That is so cute. Is it real silver? Yeah. I love that. Silver I want peanut. one. Um, so I don't, I don't know the name, um, but basically fast-acting stimulants. Lobbyists have been lobbying the government to put a cap on how many that we can make, and so the government, instead of investigating the fentanyl crisis that we have has been taking money from big pharma to put a cap on fast acting stimulants so that the drug companies, because the patents are running out and so there can be a generic, which means the drug companies can't make as much money on fast acting stimulants and they're developing long different formats, which are more expensive of stimulants, like for instance, a Vivance patch that they're going to try to start marketing and so getting they everyone can to keep pay on for. getting so they can make like more money. money. Yes. And so, and my psychiatrist went to an, an adult ADHD conference in like the past like month or so. And he said the vibe was so wrong. He was like, it was totally, there were so many big pharma moles that they, and they weren't talking about like the real issues. They were just like, it was all like a big like marketing scheme for these like patches and like these new formats that like cost way more money. And he was like, something is wrong. I'm blowing the whistle. I need to get the word out. So we heard it here first. Here I am. This, we are breaking, this is going to be like the next But so what do we do spotlight. if we're angry? What do we, do? how do we channel that anger? You have to write your, he told me, hold on, I'm going to read this. This is the first time I'm actually reading his email. Um, I've been asking my patients with ADHD to, apparently I have ADHD. I thought I just had ADD. To write their local No, there's congress- no such thing as ADD anymore. It's ADHD primarily inattentive or primarily hyperactive. I'm still, can I be honest? I still, I still don't think. And this is someone who's been diagnosed. I don't believe in it. I don't think it's real. I do. I like can't focus on literally anything. It's because we're overstimulated. I mean, look at how many screens I have in front of me. I have three screens in front of me right now. Right, but... 
I also need those three screens or else I get anxious. Exactly. This is not coming. This is not a disorder that you were born with is, is my point, right? Okay, fine. Who knows? I'm like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic that will gladly drink the Kool-Aid, take the pill. <laughs> okay, Fair. so write your Congress reps about these shortages as it seems that the Drug Enforcement Agency is responsible, as is the Big Pharma, which donates to politicians heavily who influence the DEA policy, which currently restricts generic stimulant production through its quota system. The DEA has been called out on stimulus shortage issue before in 2015, still denied any wrongdoing despite all the evidence implicating it as the responsible party. There's a drugfee.org article that he links to. Um, so please, for the love of God, if you have ADHD and you are having trouble finding your stimulants, which is very real. I thought, did I tell you about trying to go to the fancy pharmacy to get my stimulants? And they yeah, can, I mean, I've, yeah. I have I've, the, the calls I've made. And they also like won't tell you on the phone if they have it in stock and because it's like they think you're going to hold up the place. And it's like, no, Sudi, I just want to get my Adderall. And they're not doing anything about this like fentanyl issue and like the cartels. I mean, really? Okay, well... I think just getting the word out is probably the the first step. Um, speaking of new old news, Brianna, uh, at the, I was gonna say Brianna's football performance, uh, Brianna's Super Bowl performance. I was mesmerized. Go on, I didn't watch it, so you didn't. Oh, Mm-mm. I thought she was incredible. I mean, like to to perform after six years of having not stepped on a stage and then to like be able to like she just has so much charisma and like she was pregnant so she wasn't like doing crazy dance moves but also that's never been her thing but she has so much like charisma and like style that I was I thought it was incredible there was like one moment where she like powdered her nose or something with a Fenty uh, compact which I think like marketers think was like her product placement but I don't think it really mattered she looks incredible though okay willow was it it the performance of a lifetime or it was just like a nice little i just love her it made it makes you miss her uh it it made me miss her and then when you realize she's pregnant you're like i guess this is all we're gonna get for a very long time well my my biggest regret in terms of my relationship with rihanna um is Missing her anti-tour. Yeah, I did too. Because video from that show where she's on the, there was like a crawl, what's it called? Catwalk, like, um, but it was suspended Over in the, the audience? Yes. And so, so you cool. could see through the floor and she was like humping, like there was like footage of her like dancing, like grinding against the floor of this like clear cat. Like it was, and I know she wasn't doing that at the Super Bowl. So that's why I was kind of like, I've kind of I've seen her at her peak and I wasn't there. Yeah. And so Ugh, I'm a little like, I'm a little scarred by that, that yep. I missed that point in her career. And, um, cause you know, auntie, what is, was my, like, that was my theme music for life. Like that was my like background noise, if, like in my own soundtrack in my head Ugh, for like yeah. four years of my life. I know. And it's like, she just is not interested in coming back. Yeah. She has a baby. And she's having another. Um, Okay, the other thing that I wanted to speak about, which is not totally beauty related, is (laughs) the roasting that both Nike and Tiffany got on Twitter and Instagram and Reddit um, over their collaboration. Basically, it's a Tiffany blue dunk, right? 
Nike Dunk, and there's like a shoe cleaning brush that they did a you know bad copy of an Irving Penn picture of the the shoe brush in a drinking glass, and it said you know make sure to brush your tongue or something like that. Get it? Very because confusing. like shoe tongues, but everyone was like, what? Like this doesn't even make sense. Like it feels like. Remember when Tiffany a few months ago did like not your not your grandmother's Tiffany or something. it feels like an old person, you know, trying to like write for Gen Z. It feels like Gossip Girl, like the reboot. Like every line of that was like an old person trying to write like a teenager, like never been like Drew Barrymore and never been kissed. Like, hey, cool people, like we're not your grandma's jewelry. And then it's like, oh, I know what kids like Nikes. Yeah. But guess what? The internet was not impressed. Also, Tiffany's collaborated with Nike before. Have they? Yeah. This wasn't the first time, I don't think. I will say, like, I would rather have my grandmother's Tiffany because I don't have to pay for it. Like, I would kill for, like, my grandmother to leave me, like, silver. Yeah. I don't get it. Maybe it wasn't. I think it, I don't think it was their first collaboration, but I could be wrong. Because I am at the point in my life where I am investing in silver. I get a washing machine for the first time in my adult life. And I'm all I want to do is buy like silver place settings, which oh no. cannot go in the a dishwasher. They're called. <laughs> what did I call it? A washing machine. A washing machine. Well, That's very New York. Machine. You're like the two things that I've ne- you know the elusive two, a dishwasher and a washing machine. Do you have I both? <laughs> no, I don't even have laundry have- in my building. Oof. Still, um, but it's a tiny well, little building. You can dream. And- I mean, if you had all of this here in this one apartment, what would, why would you even try anymore? I wouldn't hit my step goals. I wouldn't hit my step goals. Um, Okay. But on to beauty. And this is going to be pretty quick because really most of the news is kind of boring. My number one was we've been reading about the problems that Morphe Cosmetics and their parent company, Former Brands, has been having. Morphe, which did was really early on the influencer trend. They did, you know, palette collabs with James Charles and Jeffree Star, both of whom got canceled, which was tough for Morphe's bottom line. They opened stores. They were like the influencer makeup and artistry, you know, brush brand. Mm-hmm. But when that when other brands sort of started doing it too, there was no point of difference, you know, for Morphe and sales started tanking. Former brands, which owns Morphe, created that line Morphe 2 with the D'Amelio sisters, which didn't do anything. They were also behind the launch of Ariana Grande's REM Beauty, which felt always felt weird and like a afterthought. You think and so? I thought it did. Like it just we it felt... we, we kind of we, we criticized them for going with that weird sixties retro vibe. Right, because that's the Space only age. vibe she does. Okay. It's like mod. Um but what I thought was interesting is they filed for chapter eleven bankruptcy protection and I guess in the documents in the filing it was revealed that Ariana Grande wanted to buy back the assets relating to REM Beauty, so whatever you know, assets the brand had, and only had to pay fifteen million dollars. That's what? That's a lot of money. <laughs> it feels like not a lot for 
Ariana Grande's makeup brand that's been in the market. For, like that's basically but like they the filed brands. for Chapter Eleven. Like she could name her. She could like literally offer them anything. Why would she buy it? For I guess that's million? true. I don't know. For some reason, I was like, oh, that's the valuation kind of of the brand because they both saw. I mean, they would have to have a reason why that's the cost, and she would have to have a reason to pay it, right? I mean, you would think so. Like based on sales, but I don't even know. You know, usually. Typically in beauty, you know, a beauty company will sell for 5x revenue and that or but I mean, there have been cases where things have been valued between five and 10x, but that's pretty crazy. But conservatively, 5x. So that means that the brand was making three million dollars. No way. I mean, or that would be crazy. I mean, they were in every Ulta. Yeah. From what I understand, they they perform well at Ulta. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. So I, mean, I thought it was, I thought, I mean, I guess it was sort of, yeah, it was a fire sale, right? Like they had to sell. So she could probably name her price. 15 million is still a lot of money. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. I wonder where it would have gone had she not done that. Like what would have been the fate of REM Beauty? In your know. expert opinion. Uh, well, I still don't know what the fate is because she bought back the assets, but someone now has to make it. You know, it's it's not like I mean, she maybe that included some inventory, but I'm pretty sure the headlines I saw said that it was more about like you know, IP that she bought back. Does she buy the formulas? I would. Well, if she, yeah, that would be part of the IP. Those are expensive. Yeah. But so anyway, I thought that was interesting. So let's see if she reinvents it or someone else buys it buys the license or figure out how that works. Um, I'm going to say four words to you and you have to tell me what you think, okay? Okay. Is Amaya French penis lipstick? Um, not surprised. Um, on brand, yeah. It doesn't feel very ergonomic. You hold the balls as like the base of the lipstick tube and then you apply the tip, the head, the tip. What I'm Wait. seeing about Is Amaya's namesake brand is it's more of a performance art done through physical product like yeah this is not a commercial beauty brand she so for those that are like what are you guys even talking about is my French who we we stand we love her and her beauty line which we don't understand from a practical perspective because of the packaging the packaging is so so over the top. So expensive. To the point where I I really like it. I love Isamai. I was so excited to like try the formulas and I think the colors are gorgeous and the textures look really nice. So I ordered all of her first products, but it sat in my office at my desk in a box on the floor for like six months and I wouldn't even open it because the packaging is so cumbersome. It had the the eyeshadow palette had like a full body like sticking out of it and like yeah. 3D. I had to like eventually I pried it off with with pliers at my apartment and pried off the extra like deco on the packaging so I could fit the fucking palette in my like makeup bag. And so yeah, she's just that launched is kind of in, yeah. She's just launched lipsticks in the shape of peanut silver. It's like penises. a chrome silver penis. Um and I mean, not only do you not want to carry that around or apply that in public, but I think you're right that I don't think it feels like the aim of her brand is to get sales. It's more to sort of like say something creatively, right? Which I think would be a really cushy place as like to be able to make products just for the fuck all of it sounds incredible, but that wouldn't be my execution. I would 
just make really expensive, nice stuff. Like my Hakuhoto makeup brush collection that I want to make so fucking bad. I mean, I was just thinking about this too, that like, if I ever have enough money, I'm just going to make whatever I want and try to sell it. Yeah. I mean, I already kind of did that with my um, cashmere tie-dyed beanies, <laughs> which I, I never even got to sell them. Wait, so you have more? What? It's their hand-dyed tie-dye, 100% double-ply, or no, eight-ply Mongolian cashmere knit by a community organization in Detroit called So Great Detroit that... Um, provides training in knitting and sewing to women at risk of domestic violence and uh, homelessness. And yeah, you tell that commenter. It's true. That is true. That is who is knitting it. So we're like, and it's not, it it's is. not a charity project um, because I charge for them and they get, and the women who knit the hats get paid to knit them. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a great thing and I love doing it, but yeah, I don't know how I got on that topic. Do you have one that's in my head shape? Yeah, I have I have kids and adult sizes this season, but I just didn't have time to sell them. But anyway, I'm just going to make things that I like and try to sell them, and that's going to be what I do in retirement. I can't wait for you to do that. We have one. Should we end on a slightly want-want note? Yeah. There was a very um, sad picture posted on Trend Mood 1, a.k.a. the New York Times of Beauty, um, the fi- I would say more the Financial Times of Beauty, the Economist of Beauty, um, that was a kiosk or like a gondola in Sephora terminology, like the end cap, the display for John Legend's new skincare grooming brand at CVS called Loved One, one like the number one. Which I'm speculating was meant to be Chrissy Teigen's. <laughs> brand well it's kind of, it's, but they were like yeah i mean it's it's unisex from the from the imagery on the gondola there's like a man and a woman in one of the pictures and you think that was meant to be you know, like in when they were comping that up and pitching investors that was definitely a picture of chrissy and john right and i i and i say the same thing i tweeted this about john legend when he had like a bonobos or rothy's like shoe that he apparently designed and there was a photo of him at the launch party holding this shoe and it was like clearly the first time he had ever seen this shoe in his life it's just it's so it feels <laughs> random af and like i feel like we're negative about everything but i mean i like I the know, mission i will it, say i like the mission it's it's skincare products for people with melanated skin, which is like a too often ignored category or audience rather. But but why can't somebody like that can devote their true talent to that and focus to that and be successful through that, do that rather than having fucking John Legend like agree to one photo shoot and slapping his name on it. I know. And it's a picture of him like putting cream on his cheek. And I'm like, this is, is there, do people only know one way to like market to anyone, (laughs) which is like a picture of is whether it's a guy or musician, like where's the, where's the humor? We, we are, this podcast should be called gatekeepers. We're the gatekeepers of like, if anybody wants to launch a beauty brand, gotta come through us. They got to go through us. (laughs) 
But like that's kind of our commentary every time another beauty brand launches. I know, and I don't mean to sound negative because I, I do love the depth and breadth of products that there are like I'm a consumer as as evidenced by that New York magazine quote like I love to like discover things and try things um but I don't know like I guess it's punching up when you kind of are disappointed with like a celebrity brand because it's a celebrity I don't know I don't know maybe I maybe I should do some work on myself before I talk about any other celebrity brands. I'm trying to think of one that I really like um, to sort of put a positive spin on it. Celebrity-specific beauty brand. I, I worked on one, Home Court, we did with Courtney Cox. But that, that wasn't a beauty brand. Well, I mean, I know funny it was beauty you for the say home, that. But... Yeah, well, and guess what was in the uh, Women's Wear Daily today? An article that was called, like, beauty combines with home care as, like, a trend. I'm like, thank you. Let's end on a positive yeah, let's end on a positive stop note. gatekeeping. Yeah. I have a product of the week. Let's hear it. House and Garden UK. Do not sleep on it. If you like interiors, you know, interior design, architectural style, etc. But Mm -hmm. you find World of Interiors, which is sort of like the preeminent international interior magazine that Hamish Bowles is now the editor-in-chief of. If you find it a little inaccessible, which I do, it's just like... Everything is so violently over, like so expensive and so precious and like you could never live that life. I direct Mm -hmm. you to House and Garden UK. Famously, Anna Wintour was the editor of House and Garden in the US before she got Vogue, as a side note. But House and Garden UK, I got a print subscription. They're they're practically paying you to subscribe to print issues at this point. But also the website is incredible. If you want a slideshow on sink skirts, you want a slideshow on desk lamps, and you want actually like good curation of desk lamps or sink skirts, get thee to housinggarden.co.uk. It is a fabulous magazine. The people have so much style who put it together. Um, I've found so many cool British brands. They do really good Etsy store roundups. So if you're looking for like good carpets or rugs on Etsy, they'll give you like, they'll like poll designers on who their best vendors are. Nick, can I ask a question? Talk about not gatekeeping. Yes. There seems to be a homes, homes and gardens magazine as well. Don't get it. First Don't issue get date, confused. 1919. House and garden was founded in 1901. Oh, right. It was the first. House and garden... Wow. Yeah. They're very they're very similar. I'm surprised. But Homes and Garden better I feel like that is a little bit more gen pub and House and Garden is a little bit more sort of like sophisticated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but it's just so good. It's like it is accessible yet aspirational. I have found I, I yeah, I found so many cool things there. I love that. Like often like what I've been doing recently because we're still like doing a few things in our house is all Google like the thing I'm looking for plus House and Garden UK and they'll they'll be a slideshow. I love that. Yeah. Um, what do you got? Let me think. Okay. So if I'm doing my day-to-day, my like, you know, casual, quick in and out type of shower and I need to do a little shave, I'm using my comfort cleanse, which is what I use to wash my body. I use it as shaving lubricant. I swipe it on, do a quick shave. If I need to, if it's been, I don't know, a month, I have, my legs are covered in, um, you know, a quarter inch thick 
like basically the brow your the the brows that have given you so much fame and fortune when applied that level of hirsuteness on well, your I, legs is a mess. I my brow hair, which I've always said are like is is akin to having pubic hair on my forehead, that this is not the coarseness of my hair all over my body. My hair on my legs is like a nice medium mousy brown. Um and not definitely not as thick. It, it's quite fine. In fact, I probably too fair to even get laser on my legs. But it is. I, I do not have the luxury of having like the the invisible Swedish and you know see through blonde hairs all over my legs either. If I need to go in for like a really like um, a detail job where I'm going to be sitting in the shower really like going over every inch of my leg and I want something lush and protective and like creamy and, um, you know, really rich. I bought a tube. I went to my fancy pharmacy that doesn't even have my prescriptions and was distracted on the way back to the pharmacy counter by all the product there's a brand that they carry called ProRasso, which I believe is Italian, and it's a men's shaving brand. They have a shaving cream for specifically for coarse hair. Um, it's in a red tube, and I love it. It's very thick, luxurious. It sticks to your skin and, like, coats it. It's not a foam. Um, it's it's a true shaving cream and it comes in like a thick aluminum tube and we gotta you gotta try it. Nourishing cream for coarse beards. It's ten dollars for a tube. I want I actually need this for me. Ninety one percent ingredients of natural origin. How are we spelling the brand name? It's Parasso. P R O R A S O. And I've actually I went ahead and I tried the other formulas. Like I tried the sensitive skin formula. They they're like they're they're weak sauce compared to this. You really need to get the coarse beard formula specifically. Otherwise you can just use, you know, a normal shave cream or in fact a shaving oil I prefer. Again, like I I use comfort cleanse to shave my legs normally. I know that's where we started this whole dialogue. So ProRasso. Um ProRasso. Okay, I'm gonna order it right this minute coarse beards very very fragranced yeah you gotta try it and that's it okay and guess what you guys i guess you guys must have purchased a ton of france Lux hair accessories because they sent me a huge box of stuff so thank you oh france my god Lux. that's so nice um we will be back next week with a brand new episode um now we've i've really i swear to god i figured out my situation so you won't be a week without us unless there is another emergency or i have another premature child um which is unlikely at this point we'll talk to you later thank you oh wait 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 thank you wes haas for producing this editing us hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com nick or annie at eyewitnessbeauty.com patreon.com slash eyewitnessbeauty support us um, we have never done an ad and can't seem to even figure out how to do it. So support us. Bye. Bye.